Chapter 29, February 20th, 1943, Bolomisky Park. No matter how tired we had become, the night crawled on, as endless as this road, yet there hadn't been a single place safe enough to stop and rest. With no shelter and such deep snow, I worried that eventually we'd lean up against a tree, promising ourselves not to sleep and never open our eyes again. Hoping it would keep us going, I turned on the radio, keeping the volume as low as possible. Since it was after midnight, it played mostly popular German music, although the upbeat songs were interspersed with news breaks. The Germans claimed a major victory over the Americans in Tunisia. I vaguely knew where Tunisia was, and I didn't particularly care. Why couldn't they report any losses just once? During the next news break, we learned that a high-ranking Nazi named Joseph Goebbels called for a total war against the Allies. Esther looked over at me and frowned. What does he think has been happening for the past two and a half years? I held her thoughts inside me for some time. If the Nazis had been holding back on their full power, then I couldn't imagine what total war would look like. That bothered me far more than I could ever let on, but it left my stomach in knots. As the first hints of dawn finally began to peek through the trees, a new announcement came over the radio. Amon Goth had been assigned as commander of the new, a new labor camp now under construction in Krakow. My ears pricked up. I'd heard that name before associated with other concentration camps in Poland. This man had been trained in death, trained in murder, and if he was being sent to this new camp, then he was one of their best. That was where my parents would undoubtedly be sent as soon as the camp was completed. I snapped off the radio, and we walked in silence until my thoughts were so flooded with images of my father and mother that I could hardly stand it anymore. It was a relief when Esther said, We missed Shabbat last night. I was busy rescuing you last night. I've never missed a Sabbath before. Never. God will understand, Esther. He understands why we missed Shabbat and why I wear the crucifix. He understands the gun inside my bag. And if I have to use it again, then I hope he will understand that too. Because every day, my first thought is how to keep us alive until I have the very same thought again the next day. She fell silent, then said, we'll celebrate next week. We might. I expected by then we'd be in Warsaw possibly in a fight for our lives with the other resistance members. I hoped God would understand that, too. What would your plans have been if there had been no war, I asked. Esther shrugged. I would have wanted to get married, perhaps, in a few years. There was a boy who went to the same synagogue as me. He was handsome. A beat pass, then. He was sent to Belzec. I'm sure he's gone by now. You don't know that. She looked over at me, barely able to keep her eyes open, yet the sadness registered clearly in them. I can't have hope for everyone, Kaya. If this was a chance to find out more about her past, then I had to ask. Who do you have hope for, then? She looked away, tightening her lips. I added, I hope to one day know for sure what happened to my brother. Even if it's terrible, I need to know his fate. She took that in with a quiet nod, but her thoughts had drifted away from me until she said, I had a brother too, once. Had? Once? Are they all gone, I asked, all your family? 
My brother fought in the Polish forces when the Germans attacked. As for my parents, she drew in a tense breath. The Nazis murdered us many times over. They take our ability to worship properly, a spiritual death. They separate our families, another death there. They kill our dignity, our will to live, and finally they take our lives. The question isn't whether my family is gone. It's only a matter of how many deaths they have suffered so far. After the effort she made to avoid discussing her family with me, she just revealed more than she might have intended. Sometimes since the war began, Esther became separated from her family, but she did not know their fates, just as I did not know about my brother. I thought of my parents again, trying to picture them on their wood crates in that apartment side by side. I wanted to have hope for them. I really did. But I thought of the way Esther described the many deaths of our people. I wondered if my parents had suffered too many of them for their hearts to continue beating. What about you, Esther asked. If there had been no war, what would you have done? I'd have tried to enroll in a university, I said. There is so much about the world I want to understand. I would have liked to spend the rest of my life learning. Maybe you still can when this is over. What would you study? I opened my mouth, but nothing came to mind. I wanted to answer, to tell her everything I could be if the world would only give me a chance. But for as hard as I thought, my mind remained empty. How could that be? I did have plans before the war, grand and ambitious plans, hopes and dreams that seemed too bold to be spoken aloud. And now I couldn't even think of a single specific subject I would want to study. Worse still, I knew why. It was because joining the resistance had required me to accept the likelihood of my death. Chances were that I wouldn't survive this war, which meant there was no point in making plans for the future or even thinking about it. I spoke to Esther of hopes for our loved one, loved ones, yet I didn't even have hope for myself. To cover my silence, she said, well, if I outlast the war, then shh. I grabbed Esther's arm and pulled her closer. Certainly I had heard a noise off in the woods to our right. What is? Then she heard it too, the crunch of snow and the fallen leaves beneath it, the crack of a branch against a body in motion. It was the very same sound as we had heard last night, except this time we didn't have the barn to hide in. We didn't have anywhere to hide, and we definitely were not alone. Keep walking, I whispered. Don't look around. Just walk like we have every right to be out here. Shall we get out your gun, she asked. I won't brandish a weapon that I can't use. But the kitchen knife was in my coat pocket, and I wrapped my hand tightly around it. I didn't know why. The only way this knife would help me was if I had to fight somebody up close, and whoever was in the woods could shoot us before I'd even seen their face. Nor was it just one person. Now that I was attuned to. I felt the weight of many eyes on us. It was still too dark to see them where, where they hid in the undergrowth. However, Esther and I were out in the open and plenty visible plenty exposed. It might be a deer, she offered. It wasn't a deer. The hairs on the back of my neck were raised, an instinctive warning of an approaching threat. If it was German soldiers, they'd been tracking us since our escape last night. What were they waiting for? Esther pressed at the back of my arm, pushing me to walk faster, but I couldn't do that. We couldn't let on that we knew we were being watched. That might prompt a confrontation sooner than I wanted. I needed time to plan, to think of something, anything to do. The sounds were moving closer. From the corner of my eye, a glint of metal reflected in the moonlight. 
a rifle barrel aimed directly at us. Stop where you are, a man's voice ordered. Drop your bags or we'll shoot. We obeyed, though my legs were shaking so much that I didn't trust them to keep walking. I clasped Esther's good hand in mine and was surprised at how hard she gripped my fingers. The rest of her body had gone rigid and her eyes were closed, but I intended to look. I wanted to see the face of the man who shouted that order. If he was going to shoot, I wanted him to remember me.